Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you. According to the schedule, we've got a couple of hours together. I hope you can be there for both of them. It is Thursday, according to the calendar, and I think it's uh, guy talk to get things started. And I'm looking forward uh, to that. And then Dr. Glenn Pickering is going to be with me in hour two. And, you know, a lot of people say to Glenn, you make it sound so simple. And he's going to explain that it really is simple. And I think you're going to enjoy that hour as well. But to get the uh, first hour started, I want to just let you know that your questions are welcome. You can start texting them over to me right now, 877-933-2484. You can ask the pastors anything. They'll take any question you got. The power panel is in place. We've got Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kastner. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be with you, Bill. Hi there, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Always nice. All right. I've been kind of obsessing with a couple of uh, chapters in the Gospels, and one of them uh, is in Matthew 28. When you get down to verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When you read that, but some doubted, are we referring to some of the eleven? That's the context, and the context doesn't give us, doesn't say, and the others. It simply is talking about the 11. So evidently, there is some issue there, and I don't know what it is, but I know human nature, and human nature is no matter what we see, even if we had been there and seen the risen Lord, five minutes after he wasn't in our presence, we might be questioning, did we really see that? And so some of them had issues they were working out, and thankfully the day of Pentecost came, They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and those 11 went out, along with Matthias, eventually, and changed the world. Mm -hmm. And that's in Luke, right? No, it's in Matthew. Oh, it's It's in Matthew. Matthew. Okay. And, you know, maybe if we put, because they didn't have punctuation in the Greek New Testament, what if we put parentheses around, but some doubted? That could make it refer to Thomas, who earlier had doubted, and that story is not included in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm, so that's a, that's a possibility. Sure. Yeah, I, that's a very it, interesting point. Yeah, it just, and I'm not sure entirely what the passage means, but I, I've always really appreciated that passage to say that even in the midst of my most profound spiritual experiences and most profound sort of interaction with the truth of God's kingdom, there can be this sort of like little niggling thing that is there, right? And And I just wonder if we're going to be free from whatever that little niggling doubt is in, in light of this, just sort of these, these perishable bodies in which we live and until we're face to face. Right. I, I just, and, and I'm so compelled by the idea that doubt is never resolved by further understanding that doubt is reserved, uh, is resolved by the opportunity to trust in the midst of the doubt. And and so when you trust you, the Bible teaches you get this, sort of this assurance that happens it doesn't mean it resolves the doubt. It just means the assurance transcends the doubt that we have in our life. So I'm, I'm very um, sympathetic with the disciples who 
probably were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Uh, they clearly had misunderstood so many of the prophecies that were in, in, in terms of who the Messiah was. And so I just, I, I love that passage because it's just the humanity of the disciples and just saying, really, is this, is, is this deal really true? And, and I think if most, most Christians are honest with themselves, they've given up their lives for something and there's going to be significant moments where you're like, really? Is this deal really true? And, and that's where we can't drum up the assurance but we can ask God for the gift of assurance in the midst of our ongoing doubt. You know, I looked up the Greek word just to see. You I'm did? Curious. Yep. Well, I got a nice phone. New here. Testament was written in Greek, right? You it was. And it... you, you just drummed this up in the Greek. That's amazing. <laughs> but doubt can be translated with three different words. Really? You know, the Greek word, it can be translated doubt. It can be translated waver. It can be translated hesitate. And I think that, you know, who knows which one it was. It was the, the translators that chose the word doubt. And they're they're right in doing that. That's why I always like the Amplified Bible because they usually put in brackets around yeah, yeah. you know these other translations. And I would imagine some of them did hesitate, or some of them did have. It may have been Thomas too. I don't know, but I know from my human point of view, it doesn't matter how many great things the Lord does in my life. Come the next crisis or whatever. There's doubt that I've got to deal with. And Brock, I'm sure you've never wavered in your life well, ever, right? You must be. <laughs> I'd say psychic, but I don't believe in that. <laughs> I, about, an, about an hour and a half ago, I got in a car accident. Totally the other person's fault, but it was frustrating because now my car's messed up. I might have whiplash. I had to go to the doctor. And, you know, it was a frustrating couple of hours. And so um, in the midst of that, well, am I going to trust God's in control of this or not? Mm. And, uh, you know, I can already see a payoff. My, I don't care how my car looks. I might be getting lots of money. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> you got to see the Romans 828 and everything. But, you know, seriously, God, uh, do we trust God when awful stuff happens that he's still on his throne? He allowed this for a purpose, and I don't like it, but I'm going to hang on in Romans 828. Hmm. All right. Good word. Yeah, good word. So in Mark chapter 4, I love this passage when Jesus calms the storm. I've been talking about this on and off for a while. I had a quick conversation uh, back and forth with a, a friend in uh, Sioux Falls. And when it comes down to the point where it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took uh, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. All right, now we always think of that one boat crossing the lake when Jesus calms, calms the storm that night as a solo boat, but it wasn't. There were other boats there. And when it's when it said that they took him along just as he was in the boat, uh, does that mean that he was already in the boat sleeping? But I can honestly say I have absolutely no idea what's I don't, going on. I don't mean such a, but, 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 this, but what I love about that is that when we have no idea what's going on in a passage, it's like this, if every word in Scripture is God-breathed, and mm-hmm. I absolutely yes. believe every word is God-breathed, yes. and there's not certain verses that are on steroids versus others, like I, I just think this is an incredible invitation to wonder what's going on there. And, yeah. if, I, and if I can add this, it, my pet peeve when I'm watching TV preachers is when they take a detail like that and say, well, you know what that means? Satan was following in the boats. With, with, <laughs> I mean, I mean the, I, right. there's, there's a certain TV preacher and Eve had sex with the snake. That's, that's how Cain got so evil. That's nowhere in the text. I mean, when, when a pastor takes a detail that we just don't know what it means and make it mean that there's three years left until the mid-tribulation rapture, I'm thinking, come on. 
Well, you look at it, the other boats followed. And here's one of the things I think about Jesus' ministry. I love people. It's, I know you do too, Tom. And, and You said that a little this, hesitantly. Well, a little hesitantly. <laughs> Most of the time you love people. But here's the bottom line. People can be exhausting. Jesus, once his ministry started, he never got any real rest. You think about it, the disciples, the people following him, mm-hmm. even in boats they followed him. So Jesus took naps whenever he could. And, and I'm not saying that facetiously. He had to because he was still human, and he didn't get much rest. It does. I, I just stole Parrish's little Greek thing here that he's got in here, and um, <laughs> and it does appear to be that it is just related to Jesus's just sheer weariness yep. that was going on. That they just said, you know what, we're going to take you with us in these moments, and the, and the Son of Man really, like, w- we need to extol him as the king of kings and he is sitting at the right hand of god with the authority granted to him for walking through the waters of sin and death and coming out the other side but i think we also need to understand that we do have a high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses like that that is the beauty Mm -hmm. of the invitation that we have that is is so unique to our uh, to our faith versus any other faith in this world jesus is both king and jesus is accessible jesus is both high priest and he is one who is with us in the midst of our own weaknesses and that is an i mean who is this god that we claim to serve if we just let that in think about that the one who created this universe is actually like walking among us in these ways and and when we start letting that stuff in it really is a humbling place and you know there's only of course jesus slept he ate he went to the bathroom he was a real human being but there's only one place that explicitly says jesus was sleeping it's during the storm. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. That when everybody's jumping up and down screaming, don't you care? We're going to die. He's just asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was talking to a friend uh, recently just uh, off the air and just saying that when, when you're on a plane flight, right, and you experience a bit of turbulence and you mm-hmm. try to sleep through that deal, like mm-hmm. there's no chance. We're dead. We're crashing right now. And 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 yet Jesus somehow in the peacefulness, like there, he was anchored in something different that while he was on this boat in yeah. the midst of the storm. Yeah. I like it. All right. I'm going to take a little break. We want your questions. Let me know what they are. You can text them over to 877-933-2484. Guy Talk is going to be going on for the next uh, 45 minutes, Guys Who Talk. So let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Be right back. talk let me know what your questions are 877-933-2484 so i've got a question gentlemen i, I want to say 007 has joined us justin welcome hey guys good to be with you all there he is good to 007. have you here justin. yeah thanks for condescending again this week and be a part voice. of us justin appreciate it how was this Istanbul? Uh, <laughs> yeah classified information i don't know why he tries yeah. i always try to ask him that, you know on, on Live radio, it's just, yeah. Oops. Yeah, he, he can't talk about that, Tom. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. We're talking about the Bible Secret. and guy talk, you know. We're not, yeah. Secret mission. Exactly. There you go. 
All right, here's a question from a listener. My brother's going through a relationship breakup of nine years. He's in a really bad place. My father passed away over a year ago, but recently he's been telling me he's been praying to dad. First question is, is dad listening and can he help? Second question is, how can I convince him that he should be praying to Jesus? I'll tell you, we are not to talk, we are not to communicate with the dead. I mean, I have a lady that sees our TV show, and I'm talking to my mother now. And and uh, yes, it's and it's godly. She tells me good things, so I know it's not uh, of the devil. And the Bible says it's an abomination to try to talk to the dead. We don't know that the dead in heaven can see us on earth. We don't know either way. So I, I think talk to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and leave Dad alone. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. And uh, I've worked enough with people. Uh, as I mentioned, I got to work with a medical clinic for a number of years as a pastor. So I would deal with people with mental illness and also demonic. And you'd be amazed how many people that medication doesn't work with or doesn't help or whatever else hear these voices all the time. And let's face it, the demonic can imitate any voice. Amen. And you can get taken yeah. off track and led in the wrong direction. So I agree with everything Tom Brock has said. Isn't it also in the... Uh, uh, where the guy's in, in hell and Abraham's with him, and yeah. he says, you know, let me tell my brothers. Right. And they can't cross over to That's us, and we right. can't cross over to them. Good point. And the point is, they don't. So any voices you're hearing or anyone you're talking to that is supposedly dead is not your parent, is not your relative, is not your sister, and in the end, it's not good. And almost everybody I've worked with, I'll be honest, that has committed, tried to commit suicide, told me about the voices they were hearing for a number of months or years before that even happened. So I would say give it over to the Lord Jesus, renounce it, cry out Jesus' name, and uh, get some help if you need it. Go to another Christian. Yeah, I I totally yeah, I agree, Tom, is what you're saying. I think there's a strong biblical basis against that. Um, I think it may be a little bit different of an angle in terms of talking um, with your brother, I think, is maybe to press in. Um, you know, as to why he feels the need to communicate yeah. with with his dad, right? And, and I think that if he's going through a hard and difficult time, my my suspicion is he's looking to somebody who he knows in his life, his dad, who has incarnated the love of Christ, shown the care and the compassion and the comfort of Christ to him, and and perhaps right now maybe God feels distant. And I think there's an invitation here uh, for this listener to be able to lean in and to perhaps stand in the gap, not in place of Christ, but to point to Christ to show him as the one who is sufficient to bring the comfort, but also as the human agent, as one of God's fellow beloved and as an ambassador of the kingdom, to be a conduit of, of Christ's care and compassion uh, to comfort him and to grieve alongside of him in the midst of the difficult season he's in. Good insight. Mm-hmm. I would probably be a little inclined to say to my brother, you know, I, I really miss dad too. And I know there's lots of times that we wish we could be talking to him, but let's take our prayer request right to the, our heavenly father now, because dad's in the yeah. security of heaven and we don't communicate with him anymore, but we can talk directly to God, the father who's sitting mm-hmm. on the throne. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Peter K. anything? No, I, I think they, these guys covered it great. Okay. Cool. Next. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, well so, and Parrish took away my little Greek uh, tool, so I've got nothing left. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. So talking about uh, Jesus getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but said, go to your uh, own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Interesting how this man who'd been demon-possessed begged Jesus to go along with him, and Jesus basically said no. He said, I do want you to go to your hometown and tell all the people there how much the Lord's done for you and how much he's had mercy on you. So the man does exactly what God, what Jesus had asked him to do. Mm-hmm. And I love this last line, and all the people were amazed. Mm-hmm. So how are we doing in terms of going and telling as many people as we can how much the Lord has done for us and the fact that he has had mercy on us as well? Can I add one uh, detail to that there, Bill? Uh, in that story, Jesus says to yeah, the demoniac... Course, yeah. Go and tell how much the Lord has done for you. And he went home and told how much Jesus, Jesus had done for him. And you've got the clear uh, passages in Scripture that teach Jesus is God, like um, John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. But then you get all these other more indirect things that show that Jesus is God, and that's one of them. Oh, one of the realities is once you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus... Why would anybody want to leave? Mm. You want to continue. And yet the reality is, Jesus said, if I don't go away, you know, you're not going to be able to do everything you need to without the Holy Spirit. And so as as much as I would like to be in Jesus' presence visibly all the time, like this guy wanted to be, Jesus is still concerned about all those that are lost, and he needs witnesses. And we are those witnesses. And if we've experienced the Lord Jesus in some form, then we need to be going out and seeking that. And the one thing I try to do every day when I wake up, one of the first things in my prayer is, Lord, give me divine appointments today Mm -hmm. with people that are prepared to hear the good news. I never know where they're going to be. I never know what I'm going to run into. But you know what? Every day I have opportunity to people to talk to. Mm. Yeah, I I love that phrase, bearing witness that you're talking about there. I know that uh, to to bear witness is the is the Greek word marturo, like in in Acts one eight when it says that you will be filled with my spirit and you will witness to Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth and and that's the the root word for the word martyr. To be a martyr is to bear witness. And I think sometimes we think of being a martyr as somebody who is dying for their faith and understandably so. But but there's something deeper. It's just you're right. bearing witness and and it literally means to um, to testify to the worth and to the effect of following Jesus. Yeah. And and so this like the this demonics the, the the person possessed with demons is testifying to the worth and effect of following Jesus. This is what it means to bear witness. It's more than being able to tell theological truths about the kingdom. As much as that is important, that we talk about what the kingdom is actually like. But what this person had was a witness bearing reality. His life testified to the worth and effect of following Jesus. Something had shifted and changed authentically in his life. And so if we're going to bear witness as the church, if we're going to be martyrs or marturo on behalf of the church, it means that our actual lives have been changed by this. And clearly this man's life has been changed. But think about, I'm sure that we all know people and the people listening today, we all know people whose lives have been changed. It isn't just that I can articulate what is true about the kingdom. It's that my life has actually been changed legitimately by it. And that's what it means to bear witness. And clearly he had gone from one sort of state of being to another. And the people that probably knew him while he was possessed with demons, and now he comes back and he is free. You want to talk about testifying to the worth and effect of following Jesus. Now it's like, maybe I want to follow this guy too. And and that's the invitation. It's not to convince people theologically, although that's important. It is to be able to say, there's something different. But, right. but in that story also, 
you get the hardness of heart of people because they beg Jesus to leave their territory. Yeah, for sure. And, and why is that? I think it's because they lost 2,000 pigs. You know, he, he interrupted their mm-hmm. finances. So you've got the wonderful guy that gets delivered, and he goes and tells people, and people marvel, but they still say to Jesus, now would you please leave? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the idea that Jesus disrupts our lives, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to Jesus comes alongside and makes our life somehow better, as if he's a health club membership or something like that, <laughs> Jesus is going to absolutely disrupt our lives yeah. in every possible way. Yeah. But in the, in the sweetness of that, he, he, in that disruption, there's a different kind of peace that yeah. comes. But if you're hard, you're just going to keep persisting, believing that these idols of wealth or whatever it is are going to bring me shalom. The 2,000 pigs right. are sort of representative of a wealth. I'm going to mm-hmm. keep following that. Mm-hmm. And Jesus like, why don't I go ahead and disrupt that to, to mm-hmm. give you true peace? Mm-hmm. All right, Justin, any comments or should we move on to the next uh, question? Yeah. No, I built, uh, there's so much here. And, I, you know, I'm just reminded uh you know, in the broader context of Mark, the opening line of Mark, just by way of reminder, says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the Son of God. And I think so often when we when we think of sharing the gospel, um, the good news about Jesus, we, we equate that immediately to, I need to share with them the plan of salvation. It, it includes that, but we need to remember that it, it, it is emerging out of the story of who Jesus is and what he's done, and that this I think there's a there's a case that could be made. Essentially, when he says to proclaim how what he has done for you and how he has had mercy on you, so those are gospel, those are good news conversations uh, on one level. And and I think that not only was this man restored in his relationship rightly to God, but the fact that he says go home to your friends, and we know that you know um, historically that you know the Decapolis this this was an area of Gentiles. You know, I mean, Jesus wasn't sent to the Gentiles, but first to the lost sheep of Israel. But we see here kind of like the gospel can't wait to post, um, you know, into Acts and post-Pentecost to break into the Gentile territory. We just see it almost like eking out right here. And and Jesus, again, literally crossing the lake to, to, to go to this one man, because after this, it says, then he goes back to the other side. So he literally crossed the lake just to go to after this one man. And then cross back over to the other side, um, and I just love what a sweet picture of the gospel <laughs> that that is. And I think uh, when we can share that, embody that, um, uh, and to your point, Bill, how are we doing in that? I think how much do we how much do we really realize and savor, and are grateful for what Jesus has done? And I think when we when we meditate on that, savor that, treasure that, it, it's going to bubble out and it's, it's going to spill out um, over us, uh, through us, and into the lives of others. So may I add one more thought to that? Oh, please, Tom. Peter is talking about the martyr uh, and uh, with witnessing. And what's impressive about that, what's impressive about that, I'm reading Eric Metaxas' book on Bonhoeffer. The day after Adolf Hitler came out and said he wanted people to call him Fuhrer, Bonhoeffer went on radio and said, there is no Fuhrer. We only have one leader, and that leader is Jesus Christ. And he knew at that moment he was a marked man and would eventually die. Hmm. All right, we'll take a short break and come right back with more of your questions. Not mine, yours. 877-933-2484. And if you don't send me questions, they'll end up being my questions. Be right back. (laughs) That was great.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. We are back with Guy Talk, guys that talk. Let me know what the questions are. Some great questions have already come in, and the conversation today, gentlemen, has been excellent, above average, I would say. Uh, so way to go. Uh, here's a quick question. I know we've addressed this before, so maybe just one of you can jump on this one. I'll ask Tom Parrish to answer this. If the Sabbath is on Saturday, why do we go to church on Sunday? Good question. Saturday, Sabbath is five. Well, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, and that was letter of the law. However, Jesus rose from the dead on the day after, on Sunday, and the early church began to see that as the the most important day in the history of the universe, when Jesus rose from the dead. And so they began to worship in that format. Now, I have Christian friends who will only worship on the Sabbath, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and I tell them, fine, go ahead and do that. The important thing is to worship, and we don't always understand what that means to its full depth, but whether it's Sunday or Saturday, we set that one day aside to really proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nicely done. All right, another question. How have you been able to explain that you know you are saved? I've often heard people say that they felt the Holy Spirit or use emotive language. Just curious. You know, I was in college leading a Bible study. And after the Bible study, a college young woman says, Tom, can I talk to you privately? And I said, okay. And she said, Tom, are you sure you're saved? And I got a little offended. And I said, well, I think I'm saved. No. She said, are you sure you're saved? And I said, yes. And she left my dorm room. And I remember sitting on my bed thinking, did I just lie? Because I don't think I was sure at that point that I was saved. I think I was saved, but I didn't have the assurance and it was at that point, about that time period, somebody pointed out a verse that changed my life, First John five thirteen. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know no. that you have eternal life. And Tom, do you believe in the Son of God? Yes, I do. Well, what can you not hope maybe you'll get if you're good enough? What can you know for sure from now on because of grace? That's when the light bulb went on for me. I think I was saved before that, but I didn't have the assurance until that happened. And... A lot of my ministry is showing people you can be sure. So you, my Christianity went from being a bit of a drag to being the most wonderful thing in my life since I got the assurance of my salvation. And it's not arrogant because my salvation doesn't depend on me. It depends on Christ on the cross. So that's how you get the assurance. You look to the cross and the promises of God. I know this in the original language. Uh, that word no, gnosko, literally means the same thing as when you read in the Old Testament that David knew you know, his wife or so-and-so. And, I, and it's not really the sexual content we're talking about. We're talking about is that intimacy of knowing, and it goes beyond intellect, it goes to the heart. And when the heart responds, it's a whole different ballgame. It's like when I fell in love with my wife, Jan. I cannot tell you logically how it happened. All I know is that one day, literally, when I was out of her presence, I said, I want to be back in her presence, and I want to be with her forever. Something changed, and that's the way it is to know that you're saved. Yeah, I and I, boy, I think that's so well said. And to use a phrase that 007 left to use is just from a different angle, right? And some of this stuff is is just, 
the idea that um, salva- we, we tend to think of salvation as being something that we are waiting to get, uh, and, and it only relates to what happens after we pass from this life. And, and while there is uh, certainly a part of that, that would be a very thin view of salvation, that salvation in the biblical text is is happening in, in, in present and ongoing space. And, and the reason why I say that is because the gospel is that the power of sin and death has been broken. The gospel yeah. is that I am no longer enslaved to sin as the only thing that has sway over me. And so independent of, of our Savior, Jesus, setting us free, we are subject to the laws of sin and death in their entirety. We, we, we cannot escape them. And so the gospel is more than just this idea that I'm going to do some sort of prayer or ritual to get myself positioned properly for heaven. The gospel is that the power of sin and death has been broken. And so what, that, what, what I mean by that is that in this life then, we begin to live by the spirit of the law of life that sets us free from the power of sin and death. And so as we taste of that, I think the question of salvation for me historically is, do I know where my home is? My home actually is heaven. My, my, I, that is where my citizenship is. And so to the extent that I'm aware of, you know, I actually probably do not belong in this world. Notice the world is broken. It is fractured. It is need and reconciliation and redemption. It is not as things are meant to be. We, we all of us, everybody listening, all of us in the studio, everyone around us, we are made for a different kind of place. Right. And so when I'm, when I'm like, am I worried about my salvation? I think the question that I ask myself is, do I know where my home is? And if I'm trying to make my home in this earth, I'm living an idolatrous life in which I'm leaning into the fractures and failures of this earth to try to bring peace and shalom. But to the extent that I know that my home is actually in heaven and I'm waiting for the great reconciliation, now I'm assured of my salvation because I begin to long for that. I begin to want that. And I begin to, to seek after that. And, and I manifest that in present time and space. And I think the reason most people don't have the assurance... It's because they they still think they're saved by being good enough I, in this world, and and, and it's a, it's a, a a tremendous deceit, Brock, yeah. on every yeah. level. And it's understandable. Un- one, they right? don't understand right? the cross or grace. No, yeah, for sure. It's interesting. When I was in Texas a little over a month ago, we went to a mega church, and it's went not far from Charles Wendell's church. Mm. I mean, they were close by, and our my son and daughter in law go there, and it was a wonderful service. And the pastor, strong Baptist pastor, boy, was he biblical, and I appreciated that. But he made an interesting comment. As a, he said, look, it's not enough to say you were saved on June 5th, you know, 1985. He said, we've forgotten sanctification. Mm-hmm. He said, every day you're renewing that relationship with Jesus and affirming again that what he did for you is for you, and you can trust in that above mm-hmm. everything else. And I tell you, I came away mm-hmm. applauding. Yeah, I and, and it's such an understandable question, right? Because we think, gosh, we've decided to say yes to following Jesus. That means we're never going to struggle with sin again, right? And and like all of us, it's because we're still in these fractured, perishable bodies. We're still in the midst of this sort of titanic struggle between sin and death and the power of life that happens. And so the question about are we saved, do we have assurance of salvation, isn't about how well we're doing on the journey and right. works. It's like, do you know where your home is? Mm-hmm. Right. And if you know where your home is, if you know that you don't belong in this world and there's something better way, you know where you're safe. You know where your home is. Yeah. And, and I think that gives us some measure of strength and um, perseverance in the midst of the struggles of this life. An old lady once said this to me. She said, here's the difference about people that hope they're saved and want to be saved. She said, if you hope you're saved, you're looking in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> when you know you're saved, you're looking to the cross. Amen. Yeah. Because all authority has been given to him, right? Like, you know who your king of your kingdom and your home and all of that is. These are the, this is the language of salvation, not how well you're doing in the midst of a sinful struggle. Right. And it doesn't mean you should just then embrace the sinful struggle. No, no, no. It just means that your sinful struggle is not indicative of whether you have salvation. And exactly. people just got to get out of that trap. 
Uh-huh. Tom Brock, Tom Brock, when you read that passage in First John, mm-hmm. and your 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 mind and your heart was were, was transformed by that verse, so you went from wondering to knowing. Yeah, it was a process, but that verse helped. Yeah. Okay. And and pr- good conversations with people, good good Bible classes, and put it all together. I don't know that it was in an overnight light bulb, but it was a yeah, light right. bulb. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Here's another question: How can Justin, I didn't cut you off, did I? Uh, well, no, I don't know. Maybe you can go to the next question. I feel like <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I want more on this topic. I'm sorry, I, I can't <laughs> visually see. It's, you, it's so. all fine with the three of us yeah. in the studio here, Bill. That you cut them off. So, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I drew, the, I drew the short straw, so I'm calling in too, Bill. So I just don't. Yeah, no, it's fine. No, go ahead. Um, go ahead. I'm just. Kidding. Yeah, no, I, I think you know Jesus. Jesus said that you know you will know a, a, a tree by its fruit. Right, um, and and I think how can you know if someone is saved? In other words, that there's been a work of grace um, that has begun in someone's life. And I think some of the things that Tom's alluded to um, is that you're recognizing that you're on a journey of faith. And I think it was um, uh, Scott McKnight, you know, once said, "Jesus is looking for faith over time is faithfulness." And, and again, that faithfulness isn't in our performance. It's what we've been talking about, you know, how well I'm doing in my battle against sin. But am I battling against sin? And one of the ways that I, I'm actually assured of my salvation is that in the midst of the battle and the struggle, I keep looking to Jesus, who Hebrews 12, 2 says, is the author and the finisher of my faith. And so I go back and I stand on that promise that um, if Jesus is the author of my faith— <laughs> And then he's going to finish it because Jesus always finishes what he begins. You know, he, you know, and Philippians 1, 6 is one of my favorite, you know, that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to see it through to completion. So my, my assurance is actually in the faithfulness of God and what he's done um, that actually stirs up a faith in me that will last over time and that will endure. Um, but I think even practically, uh, we talked about first, first John, uh, another kind of first John passage on the map of my life too, um, is first John two, three, uh, through six. And he says, by this, we know that we have come to know him. If mm-hmm. we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him truly. And I love this. The love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So is my life looking more and more like the way Jesus lived, talked, walked, thought, dealt with people, and, and lit, you know, and is my, am I looking more like Christ? And I know for me, the start of my salvation uh, journey was that God put a desire within me to know him. And the more that I knew him, the more I loved him, the more I loved him, I, I want to obey him and follow him. Something that I would add to that, and I learned as a pastor, I had, I'm an evangelical Lutheran. There aren't too many of us, but there are a few out there. Most Lutherans I met didn't know if they were saved or not. They were struggling with that. So what I would do is I would take like this verse from John five twenty four: Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I would print that out for him. And I would literally give it to them framed. I mean, I... I spend a lot of money on stupid frames, you know, and I'd give it to the frame <laughs> and I'd say, hang that in your bedroom. Every morning you get up, read that. That's meant for you. And it was amazing how visually that helped people finally take that step and say, I really know now for the first time in my life that I'm saved. 
And that's a simple technique to use. And I love that phrase. It has eternal life. It's not waiting for eternal life. It's literally in the present language in the Greek. You have eternal life. There is an, and eternal is, is less about timeless in that it's about an indestructibility, meaning there's nothing in this world that it can overcome. The light right. shines in the darkness. So you have an indestructible way of life that this world simply cannot overcome. You want to know that you're saved? Can, do you even taste a little whisper of peace in the midst of circumstances that would seem to be surpassing all understanding? Do you, do you have a little bit of joy, joy and sorrow? Can, can you sympathize even with your enemies? Like these kinds of things are the indestructible ways of life that the world cannot overcome. And they're the things that come from our actual home. There are yeah. care packages that we get from our home in heaven in the midst of this present. Are, you want to know, do, have you tasted that? Then you know. Good word, guys. Very good word. I'll take a little break. We'll come back with more Guy Talk. The power panel is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kastner. Let me know what your questions are. Guy Talk, we're so glad that so many questions have come in, so many great questions. Mark asks this, gentlemen, how can we be choosing Christ as our Savior on our own when Scripture says we are predestined and God chooses us? I got an answer to that, (laughs) said the predestinarian Lutheran (laughs) Calvinist. Um, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says in the Gospel of John... To the disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. So what I would say to the caller is, if you believe in Christ, that was the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Praise God for that. If you don't believe in Christ, beg God to give you the Holy Spirit and open your... I mean, it says the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the things said by Paul. Lydia didn't do that. The Lord opened her heart. I had an older professor say this to me once. He's very evangelical. He said, Tom, you know... When you're saved, don't take any credit for it. But if you go to hell, it's all your fault. Okay. And, you know, that's exactly right because there there is an agency in us that we have to respond to what Jesus has done for us. But he's done it all. We're not producing a thing in that sense. But to receive it is still what we're called to do. Yeah, and, you know, then you've got the passage in Acts where the apostles are preaching. And it says, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just got to let those passages sit and they say what they say, you know. Well, I think it shows the, the sovereignty of the Lord, and we don't understand that. We think it's all haphazard. No, there's a sovereignty that we have the privilege of being here at this radio mm-hmm. station. There's a sovereignty that we believe in Jesus Christ. It's not something I chose to do. It's something that was done to me, and I thank the Lord for that opportunity and, and you guys as well. Yep, and I mean, why is it I'm saved and the people right next door to me aren't? It's not because I was smarter or holier. It's because uh, I agree. Before you were born. Thank you, Tom. Uh, before <laughs> you were born, <laughs> I predestined you. There you go. 
Well, okay, and, and I'm not disagreeing. I'm just like trying to wonder about some other scripture passages because this is one of the hardest topics, mm-hmm. right, it guys? I is. mean, my yeah. word, the church has wrestled with this for a long time. It and is. I remember we, we worked through this in seminary and I got down and I felt wholly dissatisfied with just about <laughs> every view, you know, that would happen in that. And and I think where people object, understandably so, is, is how can we have um, a God of justice who then creates people for wrath independent of their own volition, right? Like, how can you be created just to go to hell as if that somehow shines God's glory? And and I get it. The answer to that may be from that perspective that you just trust that God knows what he's doing. And and, and I understand that part of it. But I think this is a very troubling question for a it lot is. of believers. And so then you have other passages where Jesus is saying things like, if today you hear my voice, don't harden your heart, which mm-hmm. seems to indicate the agency that we have if we hear God's voice whispering on our life. So so it's a, it's a tough thing because it does seem like Scripture has what you have rightly identified as these passages, like, you know, these are the appointed times or there's a predestination. And yet you have other times where it seems to be in the scripture that there is an agency involved in human beings to respond to the call that God is inviting. And, and it's just a tricky thing. I I think this for me, you guys, I don't know how you, you feel about this, but I think if, if our relationship with God is dependent entirely on our understanding of God, I think we're going to be in trouble in a lot of ways. And and we almost create an idolatry as related to it. It's like God better fit in this box or I'm not going to follow him anymore. As opposed to saying, you know what, this is maybe my best shot at understanding the authority of scripture related to that. And even if I'm wrong, I'm still, he's still worthy of my trust. Mm -hmm. He's still worthy of following. And, And I'm going to get to the other side. And I bet there's probably somewhere short of 10,000 things that I've been wrong about related to the kingdom, right? And so I want to be, I want to be faithful to the text um, and try to articulate the kingdom wonder that it is without ever compromising the text while also holding the humility that I might be at times wrong about the text. That is a terribly difficult tension to hold. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the invitation that we have, that we walk in yeah. trust. One of the things I learned a long time ago is you have to take Scripture and you, you look for the highest statement in Scripture. You know, it is the Lord's will that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he's not damning some in this tr- sense that we say it and, and others might say it. It says right there, he wants everybody to be saved. That doesn't mean everybody will be saved. And then when you go to these other passages and you start adding them in, you've got to balance that off with that statement as well. Because if you don't, you will misunderstand what it means that he chose you, you know, or that you did nothing for your salvation, which is in one sense true, but in the other sense, there is that response, mm-hmm. and it's, it all balances together. And therefore, those who wind up out of the kingdom of God are only there because of their own fault. They, the Lord reached out to them in some way. They missed the opportunity. Well, and I think we can safely say that among the things of which God is sovereign, we have no capacity in and of ourselves to conquer the power of sin and death, like none, zero. And so no matter what our agency happens to be, whether there's any or none or whatever it is, uh, independent of that, there is only one Savior who's broken that power right. of sin and death. And and that, I think, regardless of how we understand our response to it and all of that, um, there is no hope outside of that. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. Here's a, oh, Justin, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I, yeah, this is such a great, um, <laughs> I think, a, a category of theology to wrestle with. I think on one hand, you know, the Bible very clearly reveals uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility, um, but doesn't necessarily resolve the tension. And I was reminded once Charles Spurgeon was asked uh, this question: How do you, um, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility? And he says, "I don't, I don't have any need to reconcile friends." And um, so there's a, there's a sense in which that these these two, even though we see a tension um, in them, uh, Scripture goes back and forth in revealing both of them to be true. I mean, Ephesians 1, right? 
is chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before God. But then Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So what agency did we have? Well, we had nothing. We were spiritually dead. But yet, eight verses later, it's by grace through faith that you've been saved. You know, so um, not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. But yet there's the Spirit, like Tom said, awakens within us the ability to be able to receive and accept and put our trust in the gift that God offers us in His grace and kindness. And so I think it's something that we're, yeah, like Peter said too, I, I, I don't, we can't tie this up in a neat little bow. It definitely uh, will always have a shroud of mystery behind it, but it is something that we can trust that both, that both are true, both are good. Um, and we can live uh, trustingly in the tension between the two. And, and speaking about tying it up in a bow, I mean, I've, I've heard it spoken this way. There are two ropes down here on earth that are going up into heaven. One rope is human accountability. We are accountable for our actions. The other rope is election predestination. Mm-hmm. Both of those ropes go up into heaven. They they tie the knot above the clouds. God knows how to tie them together. Below the clouds, we don't know how. Mm-hmm. And I, when people say it's it's you know it's a dichotomy between free will and predestination, I would tweak that and say I don't think there is free will. I don't think I can on my own power come to Christ. But there is the teaching in Scripture: we are humanly accountable for our actions. How can that be if God is predestining everything? Well. Both are true, and they they tie together above the clouds. Hmm. All right, so here's another question. Is there such a thing as a backslidden Christian, one who practices sin and had no time for Jesus? Well, we all backslide, and we all sin. Well, and and Uh, Jesus also said he was faithful to the end. Yeah. So there is a process involved But if you're living in sin, if you're living in impenitent sin, Paul would say, 1 Corinthians 6, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We all sin daily in thought, word, and deed. But do you fight it? Do you come to Christ with with your sin and ask for forgiveness? Or do you live in it without repentance? Those people are in trouble. Agreed. All right. We had a college professor ask us to find in the Bible where God banished Satan from heaven. If so, where? Because as in Job, he is conversing with God. Thank you. I don't think he's cast out of into hell until the until the end. I think Satan is uh, uh, on the earth, roaring, you know, roaming about as a roaring lion. And there's a sense in which Ephesians six that the demonic principalities are in the heavens. I don't think it's the heaven of heavens where God is, but in the outer atmosphere, I think he's there. That they're there. <laughs> Yeah, I, boy, this is... Who wants to give the correct answer? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Just, Justin keeps insisting on using the Bible to support his views today, so maybe he needs to come to, come to play here. Uh, <laughs> no, I wow. just, I, I think just quickly on that, we, um, we had the opportunity to talk with Michael Heiser recently. I think he's probably the most responsible theologian I know that, that deals with the unseen realm kinds of things. I would really point listeners to Dr. Michael Heiser to, to talk about the supernatural. And I, I know I'm um, in his books right now just trying to have a better understanding of the scriptural witness of the supernatural realm. All right. Anybody else? Yeah. No, I, I was going to say, I think um, there's one passage in Isaiah that I'm having a hard time finding. I thought it was Isaiah. Yeah, it's Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12. Um tend to be the two passages. Don't have time. I know we're at towards the last couple of minutes or last minute or so to go there, but those are two places if the listener goes to Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12 where um, there's 
a lot of there's different things going on there and different textures and different layers i think of understanding um and, and interpreting kind of uh almost kind of a microcosm of of the full expanse of what happened in the heavenlies even before the, the foundation of the earth and everything um, we don't know when satan was cast out of heaven um we know jesus said that he saw satan fall <laughs> so he witnessed it um i think that's in luke 17 that's when the um, disciples came back I was watching Satan falling yeah. like lightning or something, and, like and that was happening when the disciples were casting demons out. So, right, right, but those are those are some places in Scripture where it's referred to. All right, we don't have enough time to start another question, although I still have several left, so I will hang on to them for the next time we gather, uh, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being on the program today and always your faithfulness to Guy Talk. I know uh, listeners love it, um, and I appreciate your um, you being so faithful to the program. Thank so you, thank Bill. You. We love being here. Yeah, great to be here. Yep, that's I'm full agreement with that. That wraps up Guy Talk. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have Dr. Glenn Pickering. You know, a lot of times people say to Glenn, you make this seem so easy. And Glenn said, you know, it kind of is easy. Um, and he's going to talk about that in the next hour. So I know you're going to have questions. Get them ready. You can send them over uh, anytime. But uh, again, Dr. Glenn Pickering will be joining me for the full hour. If you head over to his website, it's glennpickering.com. If you want to get prepared, he's got the notes for today's uh, talk already up there at his website. You just head over to glennpickering.com, go to the media section, and hit that little tab, and then it'll say, notes for faith radio and you'll see the notes that he's prepared for today's discussion that's all coming up next we'll be right back thanks for listening programming like this is made available through your support information available at myfaithradio.com